0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to FF+, Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I'm back for a second time this week after previously giving you an episode with reviews for Sisu as well as The Black Demon. So be sure and check that episode out if you haven't already. I also gave a couple of life updates in that one. For this, I'm just going to go ahead and cut straight to the chase. We've got two movies to talk about, the first of which, and both, come to us from Disney. The first is Peter Pan and Wendy, and is coming from Disney+. Plus. It stars Alexander Maloney in his film debut, Ever Anderson, Jude Law, Yara Shahidi, Alyssa Wapanatak, Joshua Pickering, Jacoby Jupe, Molly Parker, Alan Tudyk, and Jim Gaffigan. It is directed by David Lowry, and it is written by David Lowry and Toby Halbrooks. Cinematography is by Bojan Bazelli. and music is by Daniel Hart. It runs 106 minutes and is rated PG for violence, peril, and thematic elements. What's it about? A live-action adaptation of J.M. Barrie's classic tale of a boy who wouldn't grow up and recruits three young siblings from London To join him on a magical adventure to the enchanted Neverland Island. Now, if you're asking yourself, did we really need another adaptation of the Peter Pan story? The answer is probably going to be no. Need is a word that is very relative, though, and I would argue that every generation could use to have a version or two of this story. It's a timeless one. For a reason. It covers important themes like motherhood and growing up and adventure and family and belief. And yet, each new version of this tends to try and do something a little bit unique with its storytelling. This version, coming to us from David Lowry, one of my personal favorite directors, I've really enjoyed practically everything that he's made so far, and I believe that his version of Pete's Dragon, his live-action adaptation of that story, is one of Disney's two best that they've ever put out. So, my hopes were pretty high that he would do something interesting with Peter Pan. Despite me thinking that it's totally fine if this exists, and Each new generation deserves to continually enjoy this tale. This film doesn't really do anything new or special. Maybe it focuses a little more on Wendy than usual, and there's a slight twist with regards to a backstory between Peter and Captain Hook and the genesis of their relationship, but it's not deep enough to really change anything about the overarching message or progression of this story from A to B. It is well done. It looks fantastic, of course. David Lowry has a way of understanding what a fantasy movie should visually be and how it should flow, and there's no difference here. This movie is paced extremely well. It's a Good adaptation. You know, it follows the story. It introduces us to the characters. It has high energy. It moves at a quick clip and it doesn't overstay its welcome. But that also left me with a lot to be desired because of what I've seen David Lowry do in the past. I felt like this version of Peter Pan and Wendy is really lacking in imagination. and he could have brought something and elevated this to a different level. I think back to 2020 and the film Wendy that came out from director Ben Zeitlin. That was a more auteuristic take on the Peter Pan mythology, and that's kind of what I expected David Lowry to do, but he didn't. This is straightforward. In pretty much All regards. Everybody is here as you know and expect them to be. They look like they are supposed to look. They have the same things happen to them that you expect to happen to them. Tiger Lily, Captain Hooks, me, Wendy and her brothers, Michael and Jonathan, Peter, etc. Everything happens kind of the way you you would already know. Wendy and her brothers are playing upstairs. They break a window by mistake. Father is kind of upset with them. Tells them they need to grow up, specifically Wendy, because she's about to go off to boarding school, which she doesn't want to do because she wants to stay at home. She's nervous. She's scared of taking this next step into adulthood. She doesn't want to follow in her mother's footsteps. She wants to have her own adventure and become her own person. That leads to Peter Pan showing up in the window that night with Tinkerbell and off to Neverland. We go. The film again looks great and it sounds phenomenal Daniel Hart a longtime collaborator uh, as the composer for David Lowry's pictures once again gives it a magical score it absolutely is a soaring beautiful beautiful musical background to this tale he he captures the whimsy of everything that is going on and he even works in a couple of the old animated films motifs that we recognize and love. The visual effects are absolutely solid. There's not a ton of action or magical stuff happening, but when it does, it looks really crisp, really clean, really bright, and I enjoyed that, as well as just overall the whole color grading of this film. It's it's a pleasant watch, for sure, without any question at all, Wendy's actress Ever Anderson really was one of the two standouts for me. I thought that for someone who was leading a film for the first time that she did a fantastic job. She really gave Wendy an emotional feel to her that was aged up a bit. Like she feels like she's on the brink of that maturity, more so than a completely little girl. It seems like when she begins to kind of explore motherhood herself and tells bedtime stories to the Lost Boys, and the way that she evaluates the situations that they come upon, it just feels like an older version of that character, and I enjoyed the way that she played it quite a bit, and I'm looking forward to whatever Anderson does in the future. Likewise, Jude Law as Captain Hook is very, very good. He has a really great balance of being emo and angry in this. And it gives a gravitas to this character that often is not there. Yes, he's the bad guy. But David Lowry does inject just enough characterization to make you feel something for him instead of just creating a strict villain. So there is that. And as for Peter, played by Alexander Maloney, he was really kind of take it or leave it for me. Yeah, it's his film debut, and I guess in some ways it was nice not to have as many recognizable characters. I kind of liked The Lost Boys and Tiger Lily being just forgettable in a way. Like, they're not supposed to stand out and overpower the story. But Peter Pan is the main character. Like, he leads the movie. I understand it's Peter Pan and Wendy. This film gives Wendy more to do, but she really, to me, outshines Alexander Maloney. And while he was serviceable, it's a little bit of a negative that he is not more memorable in the role that he is playing. Overall, this is always going to be a touching story that is really fun. And having just come off of watching the Pirates of the Caribbean series again for a podcast purposes, I've kind of enjoyed getting to see another pirate ship and another version of a pirate, but there's not enough depth in the mythology here for me. And I just was left wanting so much more. I felt like pretty much anyone could have made this adaptation, even though it has that high quality sheen on it. There's not a David Lowry signature stamp. And that's a bummer because if David Lowry is going to spend his time making movies, I want to see more of The Green Knight or A Ghost Story or Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Or if he's going to adapt a Disney movie, give me Pete's Dragon where he really reworks that into something much deeper and more emotionally affecting. This doesn't quite do that. And for that, it's a little disappointing, if not still totally fine. I would highly recommend it for families. I think it's well worth watching on Disney Plus, which it will be streaming on now as of the time that you hear this review. It probably would have been good to put this into theaters for a little bit. It would have looked great on the big screen, and again, it has the wonderful sound design and score. There's even musical aspects to this. There's a couple really fun scenes where characters sing that I enjoyed. They're brief but good, and I would have liked to seen it on the big screen myself. I don't know why they didn't just put it out there for at least a few weeks. I know that they have to feed content to Disney Plus though to make that service worth paying for, and that's probably the thinking behind putting it directly to Disney Plus. But it will look fine on your big flat screen at home as well. And then stay tuned later this week for Patrick and I's full review of this film where we get into a deeper conversation about how it works through its themes and specific character details and plot progression as well. All right, next up is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Coming from Walt Disney Studio Motion Pictures, this is the 32nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Can you believe it? Wow, 32. This thing has been going for a long, long time. This one stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Karen Galan, Palm, Clemente, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Sean Gunn, Chukwudi Iwuji, Will Poulter. Elizabeth Debicki, Maria Bakalova, and Sylvester Stallone. It is written and directed by James Gunn and based on Guardians of the Galaxy by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Cinematography is by Henry Braham. Music is by John Murphy. It runs 150 minutes and is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of violence and action, strong language, suggestive drug references, and thematic elements. What's it about? The Guardians of the Galaxy are adjusting to life on nowhere when parts of Rocket's Pass resurface. In order to protect him, Peter Quill must lead the Guardians on a dangerous mission that could lead the team to dissolving if they fail. I gotta be completely honest with you. This was an absolutely exhausting two and a half hour experience. It is... Too long and stretched out, with a climax that lasts practically the whole final hour of the movie. It is a super loud film with an abundance of music blaring at all times, not just traditional short needle drops either, but some pretty lengthy clips at times. And everyone in the movie is so upset about something or angry. And always yelling. I cannot tell you how annoying it got that characters are just constantly screaming at each other. There's narrative reasons for it, but that doesn't make it enjoyable to listen to. There's also a major focus on shooting things, characters in particular, in close up, which is probably. Because everything around the actors is CGI'd. And it's easier to have to do as little CGI as possible. That's what I assume is the reason for this. But it stands out to me. And it has been standing out to me in blockbuster films more and more recently. Specifically in like MCU and comic book movies. Where there's just a hyper fixated focus on character heads. Taking up the entire IMAX screen with very little space around them. And so it feels like there is something out of place because of that. But that's most of the reasons for not going completely overboard in love with this film now out of the way. Those are my nitpicks, those are my issues. The story revolves around Rocket's past and a big bad in this called The High Evolutionary. <laughs> I had to relook it up just to type it down into my notes so I could call him the correct thing for you in this review. I was driving home with my son and I was like, what was that guy called? The High Confectionary? <laughs> the High Conscientiousness? Like, it's it's a very weird name for a villain or an antagonist, if you will. And I had never heard of this guy before, maybe some deep, deep comic book lore readers will understand who he is, but anyway, he's called the High Evolutionary, and he wants to create some sort of utopia by experimenting on and turning animals into sentient, intelligent, and cybernetic beings. Think. Very much like a cyberpunk type of society where these animals are altered biologically. They are altered physically to now be kind of like Rocket is, but on steroids. So the designs of them get really just completely whack and out of left field. And he is trying to create a new version of Earth with these new beings that he is populating it with. It's pretty wild and we don't really get any backstory on the high evolutionary and why he has the powers that he does, like what makes him such a threat? Why is he able to bend people to his will and have them so afraid of him or really what made him want to play God in this way? Why is he so obsessed with doing this? But he wants Rocket and in an attempt to capture him. Our beloved raccoon is fatally injured, which triggers the Guardians to go on a journey with the hopes of saving their friend and teammate's life. That is the crux of the whole movie, is them going on this mission. Will they succeed or won't they? Making things more complicated along the way is the threat of a new super being called Adam Warlock and a whole lot of infighting among the team due to frustration and individually emotionally taxing personal issues. Visually, there's so much weirdness here. Gunn feels like he's dipping back into his trauma days at times with the design for some creatures and one location in particular. It's big, it's gross, it's chaotic, and sometimes it's really fun. The film overall is quite hilarious, and the reason that we love each Guardian And their unique sense of humor is utilized well. It's also very, very heartfelt. Despite the overwhelming sensory overload of it all, the character beats cut through that. And I still found myself moved to tears more than once. It's an entertaining, emotional send-off for a team that we'll never quite see the likes of again, probably, And I'm glad that Gunn got to take them out on his own terms. It may still be only my third favorite in this trilogy, but it makes the final piece of a pretty well-contained little story in the bigger Marvel universe that had just the magic amount of chaos, charm, and creativity to result in something really special. Some specific highlights for me were Cosmo the Dog. A character I was not familiar with, but thoroughly enjoyed. Friends that we get to meet from Rocket's past. Basically, everything to do with Mantis in this movie. I think she probably has her most respectful dialogue and character arc progression that she's had so far. I thought that that was great. The soundtrack choices yes, I know I mentioned up top that the music can be going too often and too loudly and that is the case but the actual picks for songs was fantastic i really wanted to just immediately turn on the soundtrack and listen to it when i got in the car the fact that each character gets to have a moving and poignant conclusion to their journey since we met them when they were introduced into the guardian's world i think is just really fantastic and I, and it's handled with so much care and so much true love for these characters. You, you, you cannot avoid seeing that and feeling that. And there's a final battle scene where everyone gets to be involved at the same time. And that was really, really cool and badass. Oh, and then there's a cameo that also made me lose my mind. So you can look forward to figuring out what that is once you've seen it for yourself. There are also two post-credit scenes, the first of which I would say is much more enjoyable. The second one is one that most of us got up from and said, thanks a lot, Marvel. Why did you waste our time? I mean, I get that you want us to sit through the credits out of respect. That's fine. That's some people's choice. Some people don't have the time to do that. And it doesn't really change anything in the big scheme of things. So I will tell you, I don't think that the... Final scene is anything at all that important, and the part of it that is actually telling you something that you might want to know, you can read about online without missing out on anything. But the mid-credit scene is really fun and worth sticking around for, for sure. I like this a lot. I thought it was a ton of fun. My teenage, 18-year-old son absolutely loved it, as he has all of the Guardians films. I would love to watch. The trilogy, again, at some point, back to back to back, not on the same day, of course, because, again, they're just really overpowering type of films, visually and auditorially. Is that a word? Auditorially? And with their sound. Audibly. Audibly is the word I'm looking for. Thought it was really good, for the most part, despite its pacing flaws and its overstuffed nature. It just is so heartfelt that you come away from it on a high. And I appreciated that big time because so many comic book movies can't get that part right. James Gunn was able to do that and he gets his kudos. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be available in theaters on May 5th. Hope you get a chance to see it in IMAX like I did. It will look and sound great. If not... A little bit too loud. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I hope you've enjoyed this and maybe gotten some insight into your own movie decision making process. I will be back soon. Patrick and I will be returning, as I mentioned, with an episode on Peter Pan and Wendy this next week. After that, I'm not quite sure what's on the docket, but Seattle International Film Festival is right around the corner. So you can be looking for coverage on that coming very soon thank you so much for tuning in i'll be back until then keep watching and keep feeling the film.